Not long ago, in a far-off corner of a place called the Internet, a revolution was born. Forged in the fires of common experience, the survivors of a mysterious movie known only as A Talking Cat came together. Their purpose, to dissect this fascinating failure of a film and broadcast their findings through the cosmos in hopes that future generations might learn from their mistakes. Some would call them heroes, others would call them mad, but despite the grueling road ahead of them, the group would take up the Sisyphean task and become a talking cast? Are they adventurers, sinner as a savior's or Are they demented, love the punishments, I can't be sure But one thing I do know is that the mission here to force To make your life so hard that you'll be pissing on your kitchen floor Hello everybody, and welcome back to A Talking Cast The A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for, but we're bringing it to you anyway I'm your host, Dylan Reed Miller And I'm Claude Myringuzer, sitting in on the, the guest chair today for those of you following along at home, uh, this is episode 16, which means we're covering from minute 15.01 to 16. Our minute begins with our awkward hero, Chris, inviting his love interest, question mark, Franny, uh, over to his house to study English. You do bring up an interesting question. You describe him as our hero. And mm-hmm. I, I was wondering, would that qualify? Is he a hero? Is he a protagonist? Is he an anti-hero? What is the cat? role in this? I mean, sometimes with this film, for me, it's unclear Hmm. who exactly the protagonist should be or could be or would be. It's definitely a bit of an ensemble cast, and I don't know who would technically be the hero, I suppose. The the cat, typically, I feel, be embodying the role of the hero, since he's coming in to help them, but I also get the feeling that he's more of a fairy godparent type (laughs) than a than an actual hero. Maybe one of the questions we should ask is, which of the characters has traits that one should emulate to be heroic? And I'm not seeing much, so maybe we should just move on. I don't want to be like any of these people, so that's understood. (laughs) It's a a good point. Good point you bring up. Um, So Chris would like to begin studying, it seems, mm -hmm. but this girl Franny uh, would rather swim in his pool. Yes. And... I guess get him to do all her work? Well, she does have the line, let's make learning fun. And there's something about the framing and the blocking which suggests they're about to take their clothes off. Yeah, well, they are going to get in a pool, so. Is it just me, or is she emulating some kind of, of prostitution scenario in offering herself for visual display while he does her work for her. I guess it could be seen as that, yeah. I don't want to make any generalizing statements, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you if you got it, flaunt it, that's fine. Because it does seem like she's suggesting this very highly eroticized quid pro quo. The thing is, when he does reject her, she feels rejected. She looks to the cat for explanation which signals some kind of disappointment on her part. Yeah. She expresses disappointment even though she's getting what she wants because the kid is still going to do her work for her. Maybe that means she's actually has feelings and isn't just trying to use him. That would be an interesting twist. Is the prostitution ploy a mask for some kind of other eroticized game that she's going on? You know, perhaps this is a, a sort of failed attempt at early role-playing or something like that. Perhaps... 
it's that aspect that freaks the kid out so much. Yeah, because he has shown interest in her earlier in the film. And mm -hmm. while I can understand being nervous, just kind of running away at your own house is maybe not the number one play. It just struck me as rude. It is very rude. Kids who are obviously listening to this podcast, don't be like Chris. Be polite to your house guests, even if they're trying to prostitute themselves to you. There is this weird scenario that seems to be going on in this minute. And I have to be straight up, I haven't seen the whole film. I'm just kind of watching mm -hmm. it minute by minute. What's really fascinating is that each minute does kind of sort of seem to be its own self-contained narrative. Each one is a very microcosmic part of the whole. Yeah. It, it exists within itself very well. I mean, you could structure this one minute around this one conflict. I mean, all you need is a beginning, middle, and end. I feel like we have it. The prostitution is offered. The prostitution is offered. He thinks about it. There is a conflict. And then he leaves, and that's the end of it. When someone comes to your house and makes themselves sexually available, at least offer them coffee. Even if you are not interested. It's a, it's just a polite, like, we, we might not be sleeping together, but we can still be friends, you know? Now, would you call his reaction panic? I don't know. It seemed to be more driven by discomfort than, like, fear. I read a lot of fear coming off of him. Yeah? Yeah, it, it did strike me that there was something panicked about his reaction especially as he goes upstairs to begin moping. I can definitely feel it more in the upstairs scene where he's more freely expressing his emotions. He takes that deep breath yeah. and the camera like zooms in on him. We don't know where this takes place. We also don't know when this takes place. I mean, this is my theory about this film. Okay, I think this film, rather than being a narratorial whole, is really a, an expression of the anxiety, like the, the metaphysical anxiety, the metaphysical angst produced in coming to understand the universe from an Einsteinian uh, physical model rather than a Newtonian model, uh, one would suggest that the nature of the universe, the nature of time and space itself is essentially stable. The other would suggest that the nature of time and space is essentially unstable and chaotic. Hence, <laughs> shots of trees from one part of the nation mixed with shots of trees from another part of the nation mixed with other establishing shots of trees from another part of the nation all crammed together to suggest one package narrative that is impossible. We're, we're, we're not operating according to um, linear space and time. We are in a nexus. I went to film school, so only about half of that made sense to me. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, I got, I got what you're saying. Yeah, we've had... We've had several theories about when and where this is. Yeah. I think I suggested that it's in the future, which is why no one seems to understand what a cat is. Yeah, I know, right? This is not in an actual time and place, but is rather... It exists It exists in all times and places. Yeah, and hence the, the, the breakdown in the physics. Though there, there are several yeah. meta-narratorial moments in the film. We've got a great one in this minute. Yes. This, this minute, I think, illustrates how the film steps outside of itself to comment on itself, but we can get to that in a little bit. It has to do right. with the use of the cat as punctuation. Getting back to our minute, Chris runs up the stairs, and the love interest, Franny, uh, goes, what the heck, cat? As if it's somehow the cat's fault, I guess? I'm not really sure. I thought she was using the term cat as an expletive. Like, what the heck, fuck it, or what the heck, damn it. What the heck, cat? It'd be interesting to do that right after 
heck, which is a replacement for hell. Yeah. So the cat replies that he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. He has the little monologue about our irrational behavior and how even though he's a self-proclaimed human whisperer, Mm -hmm. he can talk to you, but doesn't mean he knows what's going through your head. But by the cat pointing out that the humans are behaving irrationally and perceiving things irrationally, it it, it might be one more suggestion that we are in this weird time-space nexus. That follows, I think, with your other theories. I think you're the first person I've ever met who said that. I'm here to support and provide framing for the many diverse thoughts of my guests. So following the cat's little monologue, we have a very short little sequence uh, where Chris takes, takes a deep breath, wanders across his room, goes, that was horrible. Which follows his character pattern of stating the obvious. <laughs> After he says that, we're getting into the next meta- uh, meta-narratorial moment, but I do, I, I know everybody has had some kind of commentary on Eric Roberts' voice in this, you know? Yes, um, yes. But if I can throw my own two cents in there, he really does sound, to me, like he, it's, it's a combination of nodding off on drugs with this real menace lurking underneath. I mean, do do you not hear kind of violence in his voice? I I can see where you're coming from on that one, honestly. He he does always have this kind of like, I'm so fed up (laughs) with this shit attitude. Like a drunk dad who's just about to break, but he doesn't know whether he needs to get up out of his stupor first or just pass out. So after Chris states his obvious, obvious line, the camera cuts back downstairs to the pool and the cat turns and looks right into the camera. Uh-huh. Duffy is just staring us down. To support my theory that this is the meta-narratorial moment that points back to this time-space rupture, what Chris says is that was awful. He literally is saying what we're thinking because we watched exactly what happened. So there's this kind of verbalized rupture of the fourth wall. And that rupture is completed in the very last shot of this minute where the cat stares directly into the camera, signaling that the cat, too, understands that he is existing in this irrational construct looking back out to us. Quite a moment. Quite a moment to end this minute on. (laughs) I've never seen a cat used as punctuation before. Yes. So are they using the cat itself as the interrogator? Well, this minute has been quite a ride, but that brings us to the end of it, unless you have any further thoughts. (laughs) I don't. Um, I I think I'm all out of thinking for right now. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of A Talking Cast. If you enjoyed it and you want to stay up to date with our future episodes, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a talking cast or follow us on Twitter at a talking cast. Bye everybody. See you next time. Minute by minute. That's what they'll be diving in to shed some clarity on this hilariously failed attempt. So grab a friend and crack a beer with them and listen in. The talking cast is about to begin. That was episode 16 of A Talking Cast, the A Talking Cat podcast that nobody ever asked for. Your host was Dylan Reed Miller with guest host Claude Myron Goozer. Edited by Darren Husted. Music by Casey Trimble. Voiceover by John Kowaleski. Artwork by Josh Hollis. Executive producers Sarah Cantor and Darren Husted. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. 
This podcast is not affiliated with Rapid Heart Productions. A talking cat is owned by Rapid Heart Productions. No infringement is intended. For the memory of Dan Cruz.